Welcome home radio podcast. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Our team is here with answers to guide you through the buying and selling process. We encourage you to ask questions. Please comment on this show or visit us at welcomehomeradio.net for more information. Bringing real estate, lending, and education together in one place and to help you make the right home decision for you and your family. Here are your hosts, Blair Thomas, Tom Holm, Alan Pace, and Jeff Duffy. And welcome to Welcome Home Radio. It is January 10th, Wednesday, and we want to wish you a happy new year in 2024. Hope you got to enjoy it with family and friends safely. Uh, looks like North Texas, we're going to have a little more cold weather coming in. So excited that winter is finally here outside of those triple digits that we're so used to. But got a great show for you all today. I, I want to welcome and again, co-host Tom Allen. Happy New Year to you. And Brandon, welcome to Welcome Home Radio. We're so thrilled to have you as Executive Vice President of Val Assets, uh, or Assets Val. I get that backwards. I tell you what, I'm all mixed up this morning, but uh, so glad you're here to help us discuss because appraisals are critical, and I think they're going to be more critical as this year moves forward because valuations of homes have gone up and down in certain areas, certain pricing has been asked for appraisals might not meet it. I mean, how do you see this coming? And give us a little taste of what your company does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, as um, uh, you kind of indicated, uh, my name is Brandon O'Brien. Um, I uh, oversee a company by the name of Asset Val. We are a full spectrum valuation company. And we focus doing property valuations throughout the U.S., uh, Guam, and Puerto Rico. And we wow. do, do appraisals across the U.S., but we also do broker price opinions. We do inspections. We do value review and reconciliation work, uh, value due diligence work, to, uh, value tie out. Uh, we do value work for some of the uh, GSEs in the industry on loan sales. And uh, so we, we kind of touch on a little bit of everything. And how much work do you do in Puerto Rico? <laughs> Well, you know, we, we have a variety of different clients that work out there. Most of them aren't uh, in doing so much in the origination. They just own a lot of these assets. So we do a lot of value updates for them. Uh, that's a very tough market to get uh, property values. It's actually a tough market to, to just working with agents. It's still kind of uh, a little bit of slow in coming up in the technology world. So they piece together a lot of stuff. So, but yeah, we, we, we do... Uh, more work. We probably do more work than many of them do in the industry. Wow. That's impressive. Well, you, right now we've seen a lot of upheaval in the industry, uh, especially I do want to bring out the notification of last year, loan officers, we started out with 177,000 of them in January, 2023. As of January, 2024, we are now below 90,000 loan officers in the industry. And that's a good thing for those that have made it through, but realtors as well. We've lost 600,000 realtors in the industry. What do y'all see? And, and this includes Alan and Tom as well. But Brandon, give us an idea of what you see in the market today with rates where they're going, with what the industry and it being an election year. What are the indications for you, at least from your advice that you would give? 
Oh, geez. I mean, there's so many different facets to this business. <clears throat> Just speaking associated to where the appraisers live, right? I mean, the appraisers across the country are all, I mean, they're, they're struggling and starving just as much. I, I think it's been compounded, not just with rates, but the diversification of products that the GSEs are accepting. That's been a big factor. That was, you know, they're taking some of that work that was maybe a little easier for the appraisers. And, and so they're putting the appraisers into more complex type work, which is taking more time and such. So, uh, but all in all, I mean, I talk to numerous appraisers weekly and uh, I mean, they're all, you know, they're all hitting me up for, for more business and they're all struggling. Um, you know, in the real estate world, it's, you know, I could go on and on with this, but um, you, you know, Plenty of, uh, even in my neighborhood, for example, I mean, we don't even see any homes on the market, which is surprising. Um, I think they maybe are sitting on the sidelines, some that would have sold because of rates. Um, they're just waiting. Uh, but yeah, typically I'd always see a home or two on my, my in my neighborhood and we're not seeing much of that at all. So, you know, that just doesn't bode well for you know, the mortgage world at all. Um, so we need that. We need those rates to move down to uh, you know, get that activity going. But I was talking to a buddy of mine, a loan officer, and you guys may be seeing this as well. But he's definitely started seeing some activity, um, a couple, um, a lot more activity in the refi world just just in the last two weeks. We've seen an increase in mortgage applications. So I would agree with that process. Now, Tom, one of the things that impacts on, and I think it's going to be impactful on 2024, is guidelines that allow appraisal waivers. Has that expanded under the guidelines recently, or is it still about the same? Because I'm seeing more appraisal waivers in the last quarter of last year than I did in previous years. Well, maybe I'll pass that on to Brandon real quick, just to see, is that the is that end result of seeing those? And, and your question's fair. I don't know the percentage as far as the increase, but he was talking about investors accepting uh, different methodologies, which include, of course, property inspection waivers. And the investor themselves make the determination. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac say yes or no on those. Uh, whether or not they'll accept it based on the information they have. But the investor can say, well, you've got a PIW, but we still want an appraisal done on this particular property just because the market may be de declining or they see something in the system that uh, uh, is out there. So it's still work that has to be done by uh, folks like Brandon's company to be able to do that and assign that or find the people to assign that out. But uh, that's uh, that may be the thing that Brandon was talking about as far as uh, affecting overall volume. And so I'll, I'll ask him, I'll defer to him and ask him about what his take is as far as PIWs. Okay. Yeah, you, you typically see those increase when you start seeing refis. Because that's the that's the piece yeah, where Fannie already has the, uh, you know, they've had a historical appraisal on it. Um, once they know that square footage, once they're confident in the data that they have initially, and they can, they know that there's been uh, limited to no changes and uh, collateral underwriter can give them a good value, for example, for Fannie Mae, um, then they're, they're confident in that. So you typically, you know, where, where you see a lot more full appraisals is where it, and it seems to be across the board 
has been more where, um, you know, obviously it's never come through their program. It hasn't been put in to uh, DU for uh, consideration. So they don't have that data for the most part. Um, but pretty much anything that hasn't gone through Fannie and Freddie will, will get a full appraisal, uh, even if it's a 50, uh, 50% loan to value. Loan to value. Uh, they're well, going to run those through. Well, let's take a step back a little bit. We may have gone accelerated real quick to some listeners that, that are not even aware of what an appraisal is. Why is it involved? Why are we ordering it? Why isn't the inspection doing what the appraisal is doing? You know, can you help our listening audience understand exactly where you fit in in the loan process and the purchasing process and why those that is there for us, if you could? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it's, you know, just just touching on the inspection piece real quick. Um, you know, it's it's I've met with goodness. I think I've probably done. I don't even know now the. Uh, 12,000 appraisals in my career, maybe even more. I've kind of lost count. Um, but, but with that said, um, you know, many homeowners, many, uh, of course, most of the realtors, but some of the newer ones have always kind of had an opinion that the appraiser is going to give you a light inspection of such. The, the appraiser's main focus is to determine what that value what's impacting marketability of that home, give you an insight of what, what the, the value drivers are for your property. And, and those, uh, those uh, components that impact the value negatively as well. And so the appraiser's main focus is really to put their, uh, their skills together to identify those factors that impact the positive components and the negative components and give that final opinion of value based on market driven information. Uh, but yeah, that inspection, you know, as an appraiser, I've always, I, I would rather the, um, the buyer would get an inspection right out of the gate to understand. And as an appraiser, we'd love to be able to get that. And so we, we, um, you know, we'd, we'd like to have that inspection before we even come out many times. So we know what's going on. We can give that, we can give that true, uh, value component when we're doing the uh, appraisal and the, and, and even when we go out for the inspection. And I guess I would like listeners and Alan, you can jump in here. Inspections are really for the individual buying the home and for that realtor to help negotiate the contract. An appraisal is ordered by the lender and it's for the lender's evaluation for the loan. So we want to make sure we understand those are two different types of components, two important features, but it gives you an insight to the home. One's early in the process. One is in the mid or possibly later, depending on what type it is. And the type of loan you're using depends on the type of appraisal. Can you help us understand that a little bit? A conventional loan is slightly different than an FHA than a VA or a USDA. Could you help our listeners understand those those slight differences that are there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, personally, I've only really focused on um, the conventional and FHA. I've done a little USDA in my career. Uh, of course, I've never done the VA panel. VA managed that uh, independently. They haven't utilized AMC. And you're not old enough. If you were, you're not 82 years of age, so you can't <laughs> do them yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, conventional is a little more straightforward. The, you know, the requirements of going in and testing things. FHA has put that 
um, a little bit of onus on the appraisal to be a, a to get a little a bit of inspection component out of them. So, <clears throat> for example, a few things that they may may do is doing <clears throat> a little more visual views of the roof, a little more visual views of the uh, attic space, crawl space for pier and beam. Uh, we'll test kind of some of the pressure to identify if there's any pressure issues. So we'll run the water, flush the toilets, a lot of similar, similar things that an inspector would do, but it's very much on the light side. And I definitely wouldn't, you would not rely on that or utilize that as your point check to make sure that the mechanics and systems and overall uh, condition of the property is where it needs to be. If you want to feel confident as a home buyer. Um, but yeah, we, we, we check the microwave. We make sure the electric, components are, are, are working. Uh, that's really the main difference between the conventional and FHA. Um, <clears throat> USDA, usually you're obviously those come in a little more of a rural component. Um, <clears throat> they do have some of those similar, uh, you know, that's very similar to HUD and FHA makeup as well. Yeah. And, we, and one of the comments I will make about uh, the appraisal, FHA, used to really not want to be doing loans out in a, a property that was rated rural. But over the last three years, they really changed that approach. And so uh, we see more FHA loans being done in rural areas than we used to uh, because they've internally changed the, the direction of the ship and said that those areas need help and USDA shouldn't be the only, you know, provider in that area, even though they do, USDA is a good way to go. Uh, they still have income limitations and that kind of thing. Oh, and I, I did want to say something earlier about the uh, Puerto Rico thing. Brandon's my second student in the last uh, month that I've had uh, that has uh, connections to Puerto Rico, and I have now a better understanding of why people are buying in Puerto Rico. And that's because if you own property there, you're not subject to the types of taxation you are in the United States. So you can own the property, sell it, and walk away with profitability and only pay their state income tax of 6% versus paying a 20% tax or whatever on, on the real estate. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I had a student that was highly um, represented a lot of investors there, a realtor in my class yesterday that was explaining that. And I thought that it's kind of unique. People want to invest in Puerto Rico. They, they've been in the news for you know so many problems as far as um the power and that type of deal but he he mentioned that a lot of those properties that you'll do that you'll do uh um valuations on the ones that have the and hold the best valuation are those that have their own power system or their own little uh generators within the uh the house itself that makes them so that they're, they're not subject to the power grid of puerto rico hmm. Yeah, I don't know a lot about Puerto Rico. I've been there a couple of times, but I know they had a bad hurricane. Has that affected the market or how has that affected the, the real estate market? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of touch on that. I mean, I, it's always been a, um, 
a very unique market. I mean, we've worked in that market. I personally dealt with assets in that market, I would say, going back to 2005. And it, it seems to be the same story over and over. I mean, there's nothing, you know, even even after the hurricane, I mean, it's like, okay, now we just have more more of a mess to deal with. But uh, it, it's always, condition is always a major factor there. Um, the market's always, there's always a lot of interested parties. I think maybe to Tom's point, uh, that may be a big driving factor for that. Um, but, you know, Puerto Rico has a lot of uh, areas that, that are that are in bad condition uh, and that will always stay in bad condition because, they, you know, especially specific to the real estate, they just, uh, you know, there's there's one economy really there and it's, it's uh, you know, hospitality. <laughs> and so if, if, the, if people aren't coming to enjoy the beaches, um, you, you know, it, it slows down. So. Um, it's always been a struggling place. And uh, yeah, I don't know if that'll ever change because they're not going to get much industry other than tourism. And so, um, yeah, it's challenging in the real estate market that the, you know, the nice properties are seem to be uh, consistently picked up and uh, purchased and taken care of. Getting construction workers there as well is very challenging. So, challenging, yeah. Here's the one thing, too, if we're back in Texas, um, you know, I'm a realtor here locally in the DFW area, but people always ask, does the lender assign the appraiser? Does the appraiser work for the lender? You constantly hear that when you're out there and um, you can maybe address that since you kind of do both. So how do the appraisers get assigned to a specific um, transaction um, just so the general public has an understanding of it? Yeah, sure. Without going into a history lesson, you know, fast forward to today, um, you know, there's there's a couple avenues where appraisers, well, there's a, a number of avenues that the appraisers get work. Consistently in the lending environment, there's two avenues. You've got the appraisal management company that works directly with the lender and they send that order over to the lender. I mean, the lender sends that order to the appraisal management company and the appraisal management company assigns that order from a panel that they have a program that works and rotates and they do a, a QC management program. They deal directly back and forth with the appraiser that gives that kind of that separation between the lender and the, uh, and the appraiser. And then there's a lot of lenders that have their own uh, panel that they directly still manage. You can do that. I think there was back when, uh, uh, everything came through and we kind of pushed with uh, Dodd-Frank and shifting over to um, more of a, a model that separates production environment in the uh, lending world and the appraiser. Um, you know, everyone kind of felt that you had to go to an AMC and you really didn't. You just had to create a, a good firewall and a good program that you could support and be confident in. If an auditor came in, you could point to and say, hey, you know, we have this program in place that uh, does keep the separation and we feel confident there's no influence from the lender's perspective to the appraiser. And so that was the main main focus. But uh, so we're getting direct orders from lenders still. We're getting orders from the appraisal management company. And then, of course, you get orders for various other reasons, where whether it's, uh, you know, insurance reasons, attorneys, we get orders. Uh, and then directly from the, the real estate world that just wants a uh, appraisal on the property, a, a, a 
a seller wants to get their own appraisal before it goes to the market. And so there's a variation of, uh, of reasons why and where the appraisals come from. Well, how, much fun is it, how much fun is it when you're uh, in an extreme houses are going up in price fast market, like 2020 or so, and everybody's overpaying, so to speak, for a home. you know, 20 people standing in line to look at a house and things like that versus when the market's kind of like, not much going on, not much inventory. There's still buyers out there, but not a lot of activity. So is that is that kind of a, oh boy, here we go for an appraiser type thing when the market's shooting straight up and the appraisers, are, the appraisals are maybe, a, I don't know, where they're, they're, they're at that moment in time, it's worth that much, right? So um, how do you handle that one in markets like that up and down? Yeah, I mean, both both sides of that perspective are challenging when the markets are moving like what we saw uh, through to, uh, 2020, 2021 and in the early part of 2022. Um, it was actually that can be a little easier than when things are stagnant. Right. Uh, I'll kind of I'll, I'll step back to kind of the, the world where where we seem to have been the last year with not a lot going on, not m much moving. People aren't you know, this is a very much an anomaly. I mean, I haven't been around forever. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50, but I've been appraising since 97 and I've seen a few different cycles, but I haven't seen anything where uh, or, or maybe I just don't recall where we've seen homeowners sit on their properties longer. Right. We had this historical low interest rate and uh, people just don't want they don't want to ripple that. They don't want to double their overall costs now. And, and I'm the same way. I've got a, a, another property that I just don't want to get a loan on because until I really have to uh, and it, where it will benefit me, I, I don't want to incur that cost. So what that creates is people not putting homes on the market. That, that just makes it so much more challenging to have a comparable sell out there. And right. Without sales, <laughs> your, your reliability and confidence of a property value goes down. Um, and so it, it's driven even homes that in some ways it, it's driven the market up because there's nothing to pick from. Uh, even in light of the higher interest rates, it's it's a it's a pickle of a situation. I feel like we're in still. I think there's some activity, but like I said earlier, you know, my neighborhood there's nothing on the market, which is completely shocking. Um, and I've been in this neighborhood for ten years, and seem like there's consistently something active, and we have absolutely nothing active, and that's been almost coming on two weeks, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, so flip over to the, you know, the, the, the world where the market's going crazy, like what we saw uh, in 2000 or 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, it is a chase. The good thing that the appraisers have is they have data that that is moving. We have a lot of data, a lot of stuff being purchased. A lot of people are putting their homes on the market to see what they could get. So we had a plethora of data. Well, that, that does create some challenges, right? There, there may be people are overpaying, you know, we're, the appraiser is definitely not the police of the value world or the real estate world, right? We're, right. we're there to kind of, as, as a police officer might kind of say, well, uh, when they're, when, when they catch you speeding, they'll use that radar. Uh, I kind of look at it the same way, right? We take a little snapshot and we, we shoot that, right? And we look back and we study that. Good analogy. So, 
we we get to study that data and it gives us trending it gives us time change and so the, the I, I feel it's easier in a market that's moving than it is a market that's stagnant because then you have data to point to to show and illustrate a supported time adjustment what were the values three months ago what would this you know how are the, how has this neighborhood increased over the last 12 months, six months, three months. And so you get those time adjustments that you can work in that you feel more confident in that data than just, uh, you know, trying to point to a, a stagnant market. Um, and so that's my personal, um, you know, feeling is that it's a lot, a lot more challenging when you don't have data. And obviously it makes sense, right? Um, but it's, you know, some have more challenges when the market's moving and you feel like you can't put your finger on something. Um, I find that's a little more, a, a lot easier than when we're dealing with a market that's just sitting. So what, what are the comp requirements for your to, you to use data? How far back can you go? How far away from the property address? All of these things that the listeners have no idea what you're talking about. What, what are those comps, comparable data that you can use that that allow you to, as you say, in a fast moving market, it allows you a little more flexibility where a slow moving or, hey, we don't have a barn dominium within 50 miles of this address. So doing comps for this is going to be very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, uh, the, the date of your comp cell is really an indication of how fast forwarded, how, how you can move up that picture of what's the, I'm sorry, what, what's actually selling, right? And so there's no, there's a, a, a guidance, a, a best practices of utilizing homes, definitely in the last 12 months. Most lenders want homes that have sold in the last six months. They want at least two to three homes that have sold in the last six months. Preferably, they want something around within three months. That would be great. Um, but realistically, it doesn't. You don't always get to do that. And so, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of working on a lot of different sides of this industry, whether it's been the lender, the lender side, the origination side, uh, on the uh, as obviously as the appraiser. I've worked within the GSEs, and so I've been able to see a lot of different sides of this and. And the reality is, is give us the best data based on your professional experience to point to the most reliable property value for that home. And it doesn't matter how far you go back. But if you do go back, you really it, it, you have to work harder. You have to support a lot more that there's been no change in the market since that time. And so that's why appraisers are always going to want to lean on the most you know, those homes that have sold in, in the last hopefully 30 to 30 to 90 days going out to six months is what the lender's requirements are. But yeah, I mean, we, there, there's no, uh, we, we won't do this loan unless you have sales in the last uh, six months. Um, you, you know, it's really the market that whatever's typical in the market. And if typical in the market is home selling in 30 to 60 days, yeah, there, there's so many of these elements, right, that we study. Um, but yeah, long, long story short, you know, that 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 lender guidance is that uh, we, we need homes in the last six months and preferably not uh, beyond 12 months. Going back to your conversation with Alan in reference to the separation of the lender and the appraiser, why is that important? Why would a buyer care? 
what, what what's the what's the thing that's causing that separation? Because I thought to have a holistic team, you'd want them to in, be integrated as opposed to having that wall of separation. Why is that important to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Again, without giving a big uh, history lesson, going back to the you know our crash that we had in seven, eight, nine. Uh, really associated to the, the real estate and mortgage world. Um, you know, my experience when I first started in this business, there was, it, we worked directly with, with the loan officer. They, they sent the orders or their processor would send the order, send the orders over to us. And, you know, there was a nuances of challenges. Um, some I feel the appraisers were fine with some, I feel that they, you know, they're obviously were not okay with. And, a lot of those challenges came with, you know, trying to move the needle on that appraised value. Um, you know, the, 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 the borrower, the lender, everybody wanted more out of that value as they could to get more out of the loan or sell that property or whatever it might have been. There was a lot of influence in there that was, and, and I'll call influence also known as pressure to uh, in, you know, push that appraiser into giving a higher value. Uh, I mean, I had scenarios, for example, where um, the, you know, the lender, I would complete the appraisal and the lender would come back and say, oh, we, we, we need 5,000 more to make this deal work. Can you get us 5,000 more? And, you know, that seemed like, a you know, $5,000 on a $500,000 property, maybe that's not yeah, that's not that big a deal. I think the, the whole point is, is that, and, and to be fair, right, the, the appraisal process is not a science. It is an art. Um, there is a margin of error. They're not going to be 100% on the value. It's quite impossible to get an exact value point. Um, that's where I feel, to, to kind of maybe expand a little bit, that's where I feel the lending environment and, and the investor world really needs to find a point of a range of value. I, I've always felt that the appraiser can never get a pinpoint value. There always needs to kind of be a high to low and, and a confidence of that range in there. But you know, we live in a world with, uh, in the financial world that we live in, they want pinpoint numbers so they can kind of mark their books. And it's a... Without getting into all that, there's a lot of details there. But um, yeah, that that in, in the end, what really hit this whenever we had the crash uh, in 2007, eight, um, that <clears throat> that they really pointed to appraisers uh, inflating values, and that was kind of the key factor of it. Yeah, it was the appraiser's fault. I remember that. You know, we're all. <laughs> We're all human, and um, I've been asked before, do appraiser, do they look at potential? Um, you know, like when some of these communities have come up in the past, maybe a billionaire has bought tracks, and, um, you know, potential to an area, does that matter at all? Is it strictly the facts? Yeah, we, we really stick to the facts, right? I mean, we, you know, we're looking at... Um, we're looking at historical data from that point. You know, we can't, we're not going to get into speculation, right? We, we may put, provide information of, of different things that are being um, get driven in that market, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, modernization of the neighborhood, uh, infrastructure, all those things that really help improve those neighborhoods that drive people. You know, and no one wants the, 
you know, well, I won't say that, but a lot of times you're looking for neighborhoods that look more cared for, right? At least the, constructionally, like our, my neighborhood has new, new alleys in there, right? That's great versus some of the others still in my neighborhood that haven't been completed. Anything that helps positively uh, impact that neighborhood, right? That drives, you know, the future of that neighborhood. But we do def we definitely do not, we and cannot kind of forecast into what's going to happen and, and provide any value associated to that. Some of our listening audience are realtors. So help them understand what they can do as they're selling or listing a home. They have a contract. You're going to come in and do the appraisal. What helps you do your job other than them staying out of the way, but can they leave something to help say, Hey, this is an upgraded uh, patio. This is upgraded kitchen. This is recently upgraded bathroom. I mean, what can they do to help you do your job better, but to increase that value over two doors down is the same home that just sold. And it's, it's the same square footage, but they didn't do any upgrades. They don't have new windows. They don't have a new roof, you know, what are those things that they could do to help that process? Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a number of things that they can do. Uh, I, I would never want to create a whole nother job for the the uh, real estate agent that's going in about the list of property, but or prepare for the appraisal. But there are a few things that are definitely helpful that uh, make the appraiser's job easier and provides insight for them. I think that's the biggest key. Um, so insight, first of all, on the, the subject property, they're going to be appraising. Give us the, give us that, that prepare that list, get with your seller and prepare that list of improvements that have been completed. Try and get a fine tuned uh, date line of when those have been completed. Give us that level of quality. If they put in, you know, if they didn't put in basic, uh, basic stone countertops, they put in quartzite or some high premium stuff. Yeah, give us those details. Yeah, we can see it, but you know, sometimes you just never know what you know. You don't know who's going to come do your appraisal. You don't know how much time they're going to be taking to do it, and they could easily miss something. Um, and sometimes I've I've missed things because I had the agent follow me around and talking to me. And that's probably the next thing. You know, along with giving us insight into that property and what's been remodeled and and what's the positives are to the property um give 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 the appraiser some space let him go through and do his job and be available to talk to him if you're going to be there i think most appraisers are fine with that I, i'm fine with even uh, home sellers or or even in the refi world where the bar was there i don't have a problem with that sometimes it gives me insight just give me the time to walk through see the things i need to see let me measure the home get get the information i need first because sometimes when i'm somebody's talking to me, I'll, I might, I might make a mistake because I'm listening to you versus right. I didn't write something down. I go um, for the inspector what? too, following the inspector around. <laughs> hey, well, what, what that leads us right into some, another question I had, I, explain to our audience the prep work you do before you go and even see a home and look at it. How much prep work are you doing and what are you doing in that prep work? To prepare to do an appraisal because i know it's extensive compared to the time on property is that correct yeah absolutely and that's actually you know from when i started in this business the prep work uh believe it or not has increased now it's it's in a different sense we're 
we're doing more ahead of time. So, and I bring that up because sometimes we'll do a lot of work and then the orders canceled. And so we've spent an hour or two doing work that uh, we, we hadn't even made it to the property. And so um, with that said, right, we're, 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 first of all, we're doing, we're pulling all the information on the subject property. We're gathering as much details and in, intel that we can get on the property so we can do our research into the comparables in that market. And so once we start digging in just at a high level of the, with the data points that we have, the square footage, bedroom bath count, all that good stuff, locational factors, influences that impact the property, a pool and so on. Um, we're now digging into those comparable cells and that process alone. Uh, I mean, even if it's a cookie cutter slam dunk type of appraisal, you're, you're typically spending 20 minutes to half an hour or up to an hour, depending on the complexity of the home. Uh, but we're, we're studying those comps, trying to really understand before we go out to get a good picture to have in our minds before we show up to that subject property. So. We, you know, the, it, and, not, and not just that, right? Once we've determined a good understanding of the market, a good understanding of the best comps available at a high level before we show up and, and really see those comps that are going to compare the most. We then now with technology, we, we put all this stuff into our software program. We have to prep a lot of this stuff so we can have it on our, either on a, a tablet or our phone where we do most of the work now without paper. And so the days of paper made some things easier. Uh, and, and, and some of those things that were easier are not as easy now with technology. And then there's plenty of things that are a lot easier now with the technology. So there's a lot of, a lot of pros and cons. So there's a good, uh, you know, on the low end, 30 minutes to two hours to uh, do a lot of prep work before we even show up to your property. So how often, one of the experiences I have is I had an appraiser that, uh, Went to the county appraisal district, got square footage, got everything, looking at an existing home. And then he chose to battle saying, this home is not 2,300 square feet. It's actually 2,180. And that made a huge difference in the valuation of the price. And he wanted to, is that something that happens on a regular basis or was that an anomaly in my life and experiences? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think, variations in square footage is pretty common um you know in in texas specifically um be, being a non-disclosure state right a lot of this information doesn't always make it in uh we have a lot of different uh typically you don't see it and you're like what you pointed out where tax records have 2300 and the appraiser measures it 100 150 square feet smaller typically it's the other way around um, we typically I'll see 2,100 square feet and then we'll do brick to brick measurement and it's 2,175, uh, for example. I, I, I've always found majority of my measurements have come out slightly larger than the actually posted amount. But um, yeah, there's so many different variations in there. I mean, especially when you get into two stories and unfinished, you know, there's a lot of builders that don't finish the uh, attic space. It's prepped to just open the door and put walls in and put the, uh, you know, connect the air ducts in many ways. So we'll see a 2,000 square feet home that's actually 2,700 square foot when we show up. Mm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different variations that impact that sometimes. Guys, you have any other questions? Well, I, I, 
I'm trying to think of a nice way to ask this, which is, of oh, course, come hard. On, Tom. it's hard for me to do that, of course. <laughs> but um, with the advent of the uh, work you are talking about, and we have talked about, you know, the fact that uh, everything has gotten a little bit harder to do when you don't have a go to market where everything is moving every, you know, two weeks and they're lined out the door, as Alan mentioned uh earlier to go see a house, uh, your work gets harder. Is the compensation, uh, is the chart somewhat maybe dramatically over the next year or you two years? What do you see as far as the actual consumer cost of doing that work? Yeah, you cut out there a little bit, but I think, um, uh, you're just trying to get an understanding of what the cost is when complexity and or time constraints come in a little more. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the appraisers try and keep their pricing where it's fair. Um, I've always tried to, when I sit down and see an order come over, I try and scope that out to understand what the uh, time commitment is going to be. If I see this is going to be six hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, I try and consider that. But of course, you know, we, we try and work with the lenders and the consumers to keep pricing as consistent as possible. But there are scenarios where we do need to, to, to increase that fee based on the time and energy that's going to take to complete it. Uh, otherwise, you know, the appraiser will just deny it. And then you're, you're trying to find, you, you just go down that road of trying to find an appraiser to complete an order where sometimes it's best to work with those you've consistently worked with instead of price shopping, just to get the price you want. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely that, but I think a lot of appraisers definitely, you know, if it's something, a market they've consistently worked in, um, they know how to get through it. Um, and so that, that pricing typically doesn't go up that much. It's just more complexity for the most part, but you definitely will see that, especially when the appraisers are slower in general, and then they know they even have to work a lot harder just to get that, uh, you know, get that appraisal complete. And of course, the big, one of the always, the big factors in pricing always seems to be, uh, location as well. Obviously, if I'm doing a, an appraisal somewhere out in uh, East Texas or West Texas, there's going to be a limited number of appraisals and thusly it's going to be more expensive to find somebody that can do that work for me in those areas. Yeah. And in driving the comps, I, I mean, I tell you, I've, in some of those areas of because the, the roads just don't all connect, right? I, I could be doing, spending two hours, two to three hours, just taking comp photos. Or you can't get there from here. Yeah. Uh, well, Brandon, I appreciate your insight today. And how can our clients or our listeners get a hold of you if they wanted to communicate or ask more questions directly of you? Uh, sure. I, can we share uh, um, uh, some uh, email or something like that later? I'm sure our the, producer can share your website or, or whatever you shared with them. Uh, we can find you at, and if I'm looking it up here correctly, B.O. Bryant at AssetValue.com. AssetValue.com. Yep. AssetValue.com. And you can also go to www.assetval.com for their website. Um, 
very grateful for you to be here. I think we're going to do another show later this month with you. So I appreciate your time. Uh, it's very important for our listeners to understand determining the estimated market value of a home is critical to the lending process, critical, critical to your purchasing process and, and valuation, not only now, but in the future. And, and so the appraisal process is critical. Uh, sometimes there's appraisal waiver, but as Brandon has presented it, it's not always a great thing to get a PIW. Um, so be aware of that and that an inspection is for you personally. It's for your negotiating with the listing agent and the seller and appraisals for an evaluation with the lender. And so it is a part of the process of buying. So thank you so much again for being here today. I appreciate your time. Again, happy new year to everyone. I'm Blair Thomas. I'm Tom Holm. I'm Alan Pace. Are you God, sure? God bless. <laughs> God bless and have a great day. Welcome home radio production provided by Lunatic Digital. Check the listing of this podcast for the links to our sponsors. And don't forget to like, share, and follow us on social media. Visit welcomehomeradio.net for more information. This was a Lunatic Digital production. Visit lunaticdigital.com for all your digital needs.